Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. I'm very pleased to introduce you today to Dr. Karen West. Karen has been the president and CEO of the American Dental Education Association since July of 2019. Prior to that, Dr. West served as professor and dean at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas School of Dental Medicine. Dr. West earned her DMD degree from the University of Louisville School of Dentistry and her MPH in Health Administration from the University of South Carolina School of Public Health. Dr. West is a longtime advocate for women's health and diversity and inclusion in dental education. Her positions on dental faculty and in administration span 30 years, and her experience includes service on leading dental organizations, including time as chair of the Commission on Dental Accreditation. It is now my pleasure to bring you to my interview with Dr. Karen West. Karen, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today. I can't wait to share your story with our audience. And I know that we, our paths have crossed in many different ways, but we've never actually met. So it's really nice to meet you in person and put a face with a name. As so often I've heard your name spoken in the circles that I've been in for, for many years. So really nice to meet you. So if you would like, please start by sharing your story and how you got into dentistry and, and the path that it's taken you on. Okay, great. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. You know, it's a pleasure to be here with you and to try to share how I got to where I am today, I guess, with uh, your audience. But I actually didn't want to be a dentist growing up. I thought I was going to be a physician, and my parents thought I was going to be a teacher, so I became a dentist instead. But <laughs> one of my good friends was in dental school, and she was a year older than I was. And when she started school, I ended up going in with her to the labs and I learned everything that they did. And I thought, gosh, I think I could do this. I, I think I'd be good at it. So I decided to go to dental school instead. And I think the thing about my pathway, I've done a little bit of everything. I graduated from dental school. I did a GPR. Then I went back and I was in private practice for a year. Then I ran a public health clinic for six years. And then I became a full-time academic after that. And I have been everything from a clinical team leader to a department chair of public service to um, interim admissions director, academic dean and dean. And now I'm doing this. So, so I'm one of those people that can tell you a little bit about a lot, I guess. <laughs> so you said about what you're doing now, but you didn't describe what you're doing now. I think it's important to, to describe that. Well, um, currently I'm the president and CEO of the American Dental Education Association. And I will tell you that was a dream come true. Yeah, after I stepped down as Dean at University of Nevada, Las Vegas, I thought I'm not through yet, but I don't know what I want to do. And a very good friend suggested that he thought I should pursue this. He thought I would be good at it, and I did. And 
no idea that I would get the job, the position. But I think being happy with what you're doing is the most fulfilling thing that you can have. You have to find your niche. And, and that's what I would tell people out there who are trying to decide on a career choice in dentistry, find your niche. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about, you know, you know, each one of your roles, like what is it like to be a dean and what is it like to be a CEO of a, a major organization? So take us a little bit through all of that. Okay, well, the one thing I try to tell people is it doesn't matter how high up you get in any organization, you always have a boss. And, and so there's always people that you report to, whether it's the board of directors, the provost, the president of the university, etc. But the thing about it is, I think that in order to succeed, in order to pursue your dreams, it's very important to be a team player. And, but the biggest thing I think is do not turn down opportunities. I think so many times that I waffled a bit, do I have time to do this? Do I want to do this? I said, yeah, yeah, what if I don't? And those opportunities have turned into huge positions or successes. And I think it's very important for us to realize that as women, sometimes it's thought that maybe we wouldn't be good at this or that, but I think you could be anything you want to be and do anything you want to do and pursue it. And that's how I got to this position. I did not turn down opportunities. Excellent, excellent. And somebody inspired you. And I, it's nice to hear that it was a, a man who inspired you to, to pursue this position. And even though you thought it might, might have been a reach, I don't know, but if you thought it might have been a reach, you certainly proved that wrong, which is an outstanding thing. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, very few females CEOs of any major organization that I know of, you know, so kudos to you for also accomplishing that. That's quite impressive. Thank you. This is a good, I don't want to say end of career, but extension of my career, I think. So, you know, one of the things that Dean Thomas, when I first came to Tufts, said to me, he said, you can do ADA or ADEA, but you can't do both, which, you know, for me, I had been going up the ADA track for such a long time that I chose not to get involved in ADEA, you know, other than I'm a member and I look at the site quite often and you guys have some great content that is good, but I've never gone to the conferences, never got involved in any kind of you know, showcasing anything that that we're doing at the school, but many of our other instructors and, and faculty members have. So tell us a little bit about, for those people out there who don't know what ADEA is, and it's the American Dental Education Association, tell us a little bit about what your role is. It is it more policymaking? Is it more um, work with CODA and accreditation? I don't even know, you know, what that role is and what you have to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, ADEA calls itself the voice of dental education. So one of our major things that we try to do is advocate for dental education. Now, whether that be through resources at the legislative level, whether that be with uh, research opportunities, 
we try to provide those opportunities or at least showcase them to our members so they can take advantage of them. I don't want to say we're a clearinghouse because we're not, but we, our organization is an opportunity for all of our members to be able to collaborate, to be able to share experiences, best practices and education. Our members are institutions, their faculty, staff, students, uh, corporates, allied. So we have so many members across the country related to, to dental education. So I think I would say right now, we're probably just the conduit for them to share experiences and resources. So that, that's fascinating. And so how has COVID impacted ADEA? Because obviously it's impacted each one of our schools significantly. How has it impacted ADEA? Well, everything's gone virtual. We had to change, cancel our annual session four days beforehand last March, you know, and with 20,000 members and so forth and you're canceling, it was a huge deal. But we were, we were able to put most of that together virtually. So as of now, all of our meetings through June 30th, 2021 are virtual. But what we have tried to do, we have something called ADEA Connect, where there are communities of interest. And this has provided the opportunity for best practices to be posted, for our students to talk to each other all across the country, administrators, faculty, and we learn what is current, what's going on in COVID, and we're learning how people are coping with the changes that have occurred. You know, there's changes in facility structure that the schools have had to undergo, virtual education, but I look at it too as an opportunity because we wouldn't have done some of these things if we hadn't been forced to. So I think we're gonna see, oh, so much more teledentistry, virtual education sharing and so forth of resources. And it may in the long run be very positive, but I think we're still too in, in too much of a, in the middle of the pandemic right now to see that. Right, right. I have for a very long time felt that we should be sharing overhead expenses just like many dental practices are. And for example, in Boston, we have three dental schools, right? And, you know, our simulation clinic, why have three individual simulation clinics when you can have one that might be centrally located in the state? And then with, with this, you know, very quick pivot and expansion into online digital format, you know, if we can create a education program that is fully online for the first year, imagine the amount of decrease in tuition that the students would have to pay because they wouldn't have to pay their living expenses. So I do think that that so many things have occurred that have been so positive and been that silver lining to this whole thing that we can look forward to. I also think that that one of the things that we should look towards, especially in access to care areas, and of course that's you know, something we focus on in the ADA, is um, 
you know, sending our students out, much like the South Carolina program, you know, sending our students out where they're needed, not where we want them to be. You know, the arrogance of us expecting all of our patients to come and see us in the middle of downtown Boston and pay, you know, $25 for parking for an hour or two of, of parking, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of silly now to think about it, right? And so do we need these four walls of our institutions? And I think that all organizations are dealing and, and companies across the, the world are dealing with that because workers can do work at home and not that we can do dentistry at home, we can't. And that's never gonna change, but, but how we train them might be able to be you know, sufficiently changed that the tuition is not that outrageous because we all have been concerned about that for a very long time. That's what I'm hopeful with. You know, I think that this has provided us the opportunity to think outside the box because we've had to. And it may not be what we would have done in normal times, but these aren't normal times. I mean, we, we certainly have had changes in licensure, you know, some temporary, some permanent. Um, we don't know where that's gonna go yet, but, but I think we have to look at it like that. And I have seen so many good things come out of the opportunity to share. We have instituted a Dean's Town Hall now that we have every two weeks. And there has been so much more sharing and so much more teamwork and just people who have been engaged during this, but because of those opportunities that they have now. I do know that we followed um, the clinical Dean's thread uh, copiously through all of this. It was amazing the amount of information that Oregon started sharing right away. And that ripple effect of all of that sharing just went out to everyone and it was amazing. So thanks Adia for all of that because we, I don't know that we could have been so nimble to get back up and running as fast as we did without each other. I do notice that that occurred all over the industry in dentistry, you know, with the webinars people were doing and, and things that were free and the industry stepping up and helping people. It was amazing to see the collaboration. I don't ever remember a time where that much collaboration ever occurred in, in the industry. Well, we worked with um, Henry Shine and FEMA and I know the ADA did the same thing with the practitioners, but we distributed 3 million masks, N95 masks, you know, to our dental schools and our allied programs as well. And those are the things you like to see in these times. Absolutely. So anything else about your role that you want to share with people about, you know, things that you've seen along the way in dentistry that uh, you might want to talk about? and give as lessons learned or, or, you know, just little tidbits, you know? Well, I, I think one of the things um, is for our young women today, I, I used to tell my daughters this when they were growing up, I have two daughters who are lawyers. And so I've been instructing them the whole way, but I always say be bold and brave. That was what I would tell them, you know, don't lack confidence, you know, it will build, you know, you'll be able to continue to do what you want to do and pursue your dreams. And I think it's so important 
for those of us who are at in positions of relatively high up in organizations, we have to thank the people behind us for like, I thank Dr. Jean Siegfried and some of the other women who came before me. And I think we have to be sure that we provide those role models for those who come after us. Mm -hmm. And that's what I feel like my job is to be a role model for the many young women who are dental students, who are thinking about dentistry, and, and then who graduate and practice in whatever form or fashion. But it, it's, it's a challenge. It has been a challenge. You know, I can tell you that I remember when I was in a young faculty member, um, I did feel like I faced some bias, you know, with some things. I had been a faculty member for about a year and I was pregnant and the school that I was at had never had a female faculty member who was pregnant before. Uh. They did not know what to do with me. They had no idea about um, maternity leave, none of that. And I remember going into my boss's office and it was a male and I said to him, I feel like that you are not giving me the same opportunities that you are giving my fellow male colleagues. And it's because I'm a woman or because I'm pregnant. I said, I have the same dreams and aspirations for a career as they do. So I just wanted to let you know how I felt. And how did that go? Did he did he open up a little bit or did you see any significant improvement in the, the assignment of duties? What I saw is that I scared him to death. Okay. And he, he was stuttering and backpedaling a little bit, but I didn't have as much in my way when I wanted to move forward. Excellent. So really great lesson there, right? Be bold, be brave and go in and say what you need to say when you need to say it, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, you have no one to blame but yourself if you don't do that, you know, and don't second guess those first instincts because they're probably right. Almost always we're right. We have such a great internal intuition it's it's amazing only when we listen though do we really get better and better at it that's right yeah because i think so many of us just dismiss it but when you listen it certainly does show that we know internally much more than we know externally for sure Mm -hmm. so what is the best single piece of advice that you have ever gotten from someone in your career along the way I think it actually was um, from my mother (laughs) and my grandmother. Uh, They were both teachers and they said to me, they said, okay, we know you don't want to be a teacher, but decide what you want to be and then pursue it. And you can do anything that you want to do and be anything that you want to be. And we will support you. You know, this came from a grandmother who taught in a one-room school and a mother whose family was so poor that her father had to barter to get money for her college education. So 
I feel like I was very lucky to have strong female role models in my family. And so for that, I was very grateful because they, they supported me and allowed me to pursue my dreams. I bet they were so proud of you when you became a doctor. They were, they definitely, definitely were. Absolutely. I, I, I can see my own mother today and how proud she was of me as well. So yeah, it's amazing when our moms are so uh, supportive like that. It's, it makes it so much easier to, to fight the battle or, you know, the day-to-day uh, overwhelm of dental school. I mean, you know, we both remember it. It is, it is a tough four years. It's a tough four years. It's tough, and it's tough for our young faculty members, too, our female faculty members. And I, I try to encourage them not to feel guilty if they want to have a family, that they feel like that their kids aren't getting enough of their attention. But I used to say that my girls were raised by dental student babysitters, and they turned out just fine, are very resilient, uh, can talk to anybody, you know, and get along fine. So, so don't feel guilty. You can do both. It's tough, but if that's what you want, you can do it. Uh, you'll find a way. Absolutely. And, and I shared that same guilt. My daughter was, uh, my first day of dental school was my daughter's first day of kindergarten. So we went through dental school together and, and the guilt that I felt about all the times that I wasn't home or wasn't around was significant. But, you know, she's an amazing woman today. She feels like I was her hero. And I think that that most of our daughters feel that way when they grow up and say, look how much you have accomplished and what you've done with your life. You made it possible for me. And I think that during those times that we do feel guilty, if we can just remind ourselves of that future where they're going to look back and they're going to say, thanks, mom. You know, if you hadn't done that, maybe I wouldn't have done taking the chance to do whatever it is, you know? Right. I, it's so true. So true. So would you say that your mom and your grandmother were the two people that made the biggest impact in your life? I think so. Yes, yeah. they, they definitely were. I was an only child. So uh, because of that, I spent a lot of time with both of them, whether it be at my grandmother's house while my mom worked or going to places with my mom, teachers conferences, you know, and stuff like that. But they probably influenced me more than any two people that I can can think of. I mean, obviously I've had very good mentors in my career. Most of them, all of them have been male actually in my immediate career in the institutions where I was. And so, so that was very, very, very good. I say that my dean at Kentucky while I was there is the reason that I was a dean. You know, he, he pushed me and, and made sure I had all of the, I guess, background I needed. You know, he sent me to ELAM, he did this or that, and, and I was ready when it became time to be a dean. And, and he had three daughters. So I think he, he understood how important it was to have the female role models. Absolutely, absolutely, positively. 
Do you think that, um, were you confident as a young woman or do you think that you learned that along the way? The reason why I ask is it, it sounds as if you had a very solid upbringing and with that usually comes more confidence. And so do you feel like you were extremely confident as a young woman and just gained that as you went along? No, I actually was very insecure as a young woman. And I can tell you that I laughed today when I saw what I had on, because when I was a young faculty member, every time I had to stand up and lecture in front of someone, my neck would turn red. So I wore turtlenecks all the time when I would lecture and so forth. And I looked at that today, I thought, I can't believe I have on a turtleneck. But <laughs> it's not because I'm nervous, but the thing about it is, I, I think that over time you move past that. I'm actually a very large introvert and I've learned to be an extrovert in my positions as I've moved forward. And I think that people who are insecure as I was learn to overcome that as they move forward into other areas of their job or depending on what they're doing and so forth. So I am glad that I was put in those uncomfortable positions because that helped me grow. Absolutely, absolutely. And I do think that that the only thing that holds us back is fear and it's, it's you know, we make it so much bigger in our minds than it ever is in real life. And, you know, we create this monster called fear. And really, we just have to walk, walk with it and say, okay, if you're coming, you know, stand on the side because this is where I'm heading and I'm, uh, you can come, but you can't interrupt, right? At least that's how I think about it because, you know, in my younger years, same thing. I, I wasn't as confident and I've learned that it's going to come no matter what. And you've got to get up there and speak anyway. So you might as well just keep pushing yourself to keep doing it. Uh, and that way it becomes more comfortable. Right. I, I know I used to have to have everything written out, you know, all of your notes in a script. And now I don't use any. And people say, oh, you're so much better without the notes because you're much more genuine and you're much more approachable and so forth. So, but I think we have to have those little crutches along the way that we will eventually discard. Exactly, exactly. Now, what do you, what do you consider the biggest obstacle in your career that you've had to overcome? Is there something that comes to mind? I actually thought about that when we, you know, we looked at the questions. I think my insecurities actually, mm -hmm. because I did not feel like that I had the background necessarily that I needed to go into practice, to a private practice. I didn't have a lot of business type management skills. And I guess I felt like that I just wasn't ready when I graduated. This, does that make sense to you? Makes perfect sense. So many of our young, our young students graduate feeling that way. You know, I think that that's normal, right? And you just have to, well, you know, we have the security of faculty members that we can ask questions of, right? 
And that's why I believe it's really critically important to find a practice or a, a situation where you can find a mentor to work with you. Because when we are in our early years, and it takes a couple of years to, to build up your confidence, during those early years, you have to have somebody that you can talk to, you know, and feel secure in knowing that they're not going to judge you for not knowing, you know? Well, I know I was in private practice after my GPR, and it was in my hometown. But the reason that I did not continue that was because the dentist that I was in practice with did not like dentistry. He didn't want to be there. And it turned out he kind of just wanted me to fill in when he didn't come in and finish up stuff that he had started. So I did not have a good experience in private practice. And that's why I went back and went into the public health clinics, which I loved and eventually got my MPH. But that was why my private practice experience only lasted a year. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, you know, but we always find what we love, don't we? We do. If, if that feels uncomfortable, we always gravitate towards what's going to make us feel better, I think. I agree totally. So tell us one thing that people would be surprised to know about you. Dental related or non-dental related? Your choice. It's fine. Okay. I am a fanatic shopper at thrift stores. <laughs> That's awesome. Good for you. I have all my life have loved the hunt. Okay. So I love to shop. I love to wear nice clothes, but I can't afford them if I bought them retail as many as I want. So I like to go to thrift stores and consignment stores and look for the treasure that I will find. Wow. Isn't that fun? Good for you. That's my therapy. And many of us have retail therapy in our list. Absolutely. <laughs> that and reading, as my daughter calls it, trashy novels, but they're really not trashy. That's just her perception. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, I mean, we, I think that we have to have something that we allows us to disconnect to what we do all day long. You know, I do think that we need that mental break from, from, and I think that that's been one of the biggest challenges with COVID quite honestly, is that we're not getting a break from thinking about it. Right. Because, you know, all day at work, you know, things are very different. And then at nighttime, you can't go home and do the things you used to do, like go out to dinner and, you know, see friends and, and give somebody a hug. I just can't wait to give somebody a hug again. I totally agree. I bought a condo here in DC, but I bought it to sleep in, not to work in. And so that's been my biggest challenge is being here on my own because my husband's in another part of the country fixing a house up. So it, it's been interesting myself and my two dogs. So. We've gotten along, but it's been challenging. I, I, I totally understand what you mean because I, I actually live in Maine and I have a condo in Boston as well. And, you know, not that I was here during COVID, but I couldn't imagine being here for longer than a couple of days because it's just too small and you got to get outside and, and, and do something different than, than being in these four walls. 
that's, yeah. I didn't have a desk. You know, I was working at my kitchen table with my computer and it was driving me crazy, absolutely driving me crazy and still doing it. But I branched out a little bit and I will come into the office occasionally and I will visit family and work from there sometimes. So I've been able to negotiate it, but the first three months were really tough and they were tough on everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, that that's going to be one of the things that we're going to see is as we go through this, even, you know, as we start hitting to the next resurgence is, you know, the impact it's having on our mental and emotional health is going to be quite significant. So I, I hope that we can find enough programs. I, I know you probably know of Dr. Christina Paston, who's at Tufts, who started our wellness program. And she, she's she been doing a lot of meditation, a lot of yoga classes with, the, with, with everyone, the entire community. So you can tune into her Instagram channel. And we've all had to adapt, right? So if, if you can't do yoga in a studio, you might as well get online and do it with somebody that you know. That's right. And it's been a challenge for our staff here. And we've tried to implement different things that make them still feel part of the community, the family, and so forth. And, and I think that's what our schools have been doing as well. And it's been important during this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So have you ever had an aha moment where you realized, oh my gosh, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing? Actually, my first day on the job here in DC at Adia, I walked in and walked down the halls and I said, oh my gosh, you know, there's a power above that has a plan for me and has things that they want me to do. Or I, I never would have applied for this job. I never would have stretched. And I, at that moment, I said, I'm going to do everything in my power to make a difference. Good. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for that. That's awesome. What a great story, especially knowing on your first day that you were right where you're supposed to be. Oh, that's great. What is your favorite way to manage stress? Uh, I walk my dogs. I read a book and I watch Hallmark movies. <laughs> I love all my movies too. I'm such a snap. I cry at everything. I know. I cry at coffee commercials. So I know. You can just tag my emotions. No problem. Not no problem whatsoever. Gosh. Yeah. How about a personal motto or a mantra that you live by? Just probably that one that I mentioned before with my daughters, be bold and brave. Be, be bold and brave. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. How about a, a guilty pleasure or a secret dream? Oh, I want to climb the Himalayas in Tibet and ride an elephant. <gasps> ah, I so want to go to Tibet. It's been yes. it's been on my bucket list as well. Yeah, that that's what I've always wanted to do. I may not be able to climb um, much past the first camp base, <laughs> but I just want to be there and do that and. I don't have a lot left that I haven't done because I've been really lucky in my career and had the opportunities to travel to a lot of places, but that's one I haven't done yet. 
So hopefully in the next few years. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, I can't thank you enough for the time you've spent with me. It's been a, my pleasure to get to know you a little bit better. And thank you so much for what you're doing on behalf of all the dental schools out there. We certainly need to have, you know, your leadership and the packaging of all the materials that you put together for all of us to, to be successful. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you're doing this too for our future generations, because I think it's very important not only to provide this for now, but to document the people who came before us, you know, and have something to reflect on the challenges that each of us have faced as we've moved forward and enhanced the career of dentistry as for a woman. Absolutely. Thank you. That's wonderful. I appreciate that so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.